Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. Happy to have you joining us here today, or for the first time, welcome, where we continue to talk about the livestock industry here on the podcast. And today is a special edition of the podcast itself. Several months ago, Kendall Frazier, the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, announced that he would be retiring here in 2019. And from there, the search was on for his replacement to lead the organization. And today, that announcement was made. And I believe they found the perfect individual to lead cattlemen and women and the NCBA into the future. And that individual is Mr. Colin Woodall. He's on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us on the phone from Denver. It's great to be with you, Lane. I'm excited to have a little conversation with you here today. Well, again, I'd love to have been in the room with you to be able to have this conversation in person. But you know what? I just want to share who you are with our listeners on the Cattleman's Call podcast here today. And of course, uh, for, for many of our listeners that maybe haven't met Colin before, he is a staunch advocate for the livestock industry. He's been within CBA. His previous role was the vice president of government affairs. He's been out in Washington, D.C., hitting the hill every day, standing up for the nation's cattlemen and women. But we can talk about that policy and your work on the hill in just a little bit. But Colin, I just want to know more about you, where you grew up, down in Texas. What was it like, and when did you know you wanted to be an advocate for agriculture? Well, that's a great question, and I, I'm glad we're having the opportunity to kind of talk a little bit about where I came from and also what ultimately led me to, to Washington, D.C., because believe it or not, I was an accidental advocate and an accidental uh, politico, and it's an interesting story about how I got there. I did grow up in West Texas, a little town called Big Spring, Texas. I was involved in, in 4-H and it thoroughly enjoyed my opportunity to be a part of the 4-H program. In fact, an interesting note is uh, many will know uh, Michael Kelsey, who's the executive vice president of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. Uh, Michael's first job out of college was as the 4-H agent in my home county. So he ended up being my livestock judging coach and taught me a tremendous amount about not only judging livestock, but also in trying to master the uh, the reasons process. And it's it's been great to continue to work with him uh, here in, in, in our current roles and in previous roles. So having those relationships has, has been extremely important uh, in, in helping me develop and helping me uh, continue to, to, to find a way to do more for, for such a great industry. Uh, as I said, active in, in 4-H, I was uh, active in, in Boy Scouts as well. I'm an Eagle Scout, something I'm very proud of, something I worked very hard on. Uh, and then all of those um, experiences uh, helped me get a scholarship to Texas A&M, and that scholarship came from the Houston Livestock Show in Rodeo. I uh, was thrilled to be one of the 4-H recipients of a Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo Scholarship, and that, that did help give me the resources I need to go to Texas A&M. went to Texas A&M, and uh, to be honest with you, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. That's where I started, and then I realized very quickly that's not where I wanted to be. Uh, I remember sitting in, actually, a uh, genetics class, breeding 
fruit flies. I remember thinking, yeah, I, I think there's another way here. So uh, I found a different major. Uh, that major was uh, called agricultural systems management. And basically it was a combination of uh, an ag engineering uh, degree and also a business degree. And it, it really has uh, done done a great job and set me up for the roles that I have had since. I was very active in the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M. Texas A&M is one of the senior military schools uh, here in the United States, and it has an active uh, ROTC program, a, a full-time Corps where we all live together and wore uniforms to uh, to class. And so a little bit of a different college experience, but again, uh, giving me a lot of the, the leadership skills that I've been able to draw on uh, throughout my career. Once uh, once I left Texas A&M, had an opportunity to go to work for, for Cargill. Uh, but believe it or not, I went to work for their grain division and uh, was sent up into western Kansas, originally started in uh, Waukini, Kansas. And then once uh, Cargill bought all of the uh, grain assets of continental grain, uh, then I was sent down to southwest Kansas. Uh, great opportunity and uh, one that I, I enjoyed, enjoyed working with uh, uh, the farmers down there and also enjoyed trading the uh, the feedlot market. Sold a, a lot of corn and milo to uh, several of our current NCBA members. Uh, didn't really have the uh, the connection that we'd be working together like this uh, at the time, but it's it's fun to go back and see a lot of the names and the feedlots that, uh, that we sent grain to. Uh, but had an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C., and it was one that just couldn't be turned down. Uh, Washington, D.C. opportunities are uh, are rare, and uh, once I went to Washington, I had the chance to go to work for a U.S. senator, a newly elected U.S. senator from Texas, and he took a chance on me. I didn't have any political experience and allowed me to do ag, water, natural resources uh, issues for him, and in that process, Got to know all of the NCBA guys, uh, and they decided to add a new lobbyist position, asked me to throw my name in the hat, and 15 years later, here we are in this discussion. So as I said, it wasn't really the career path I was looking at in getting involved in, in politics and advocacy, but it is one that I am very thankful that I found uh, and one that I uh, cherish, and, and this is definitely a dream job and a dream organization to work for. So, Colin, how long have you filled the position as Vice President of Government Affairs in the D.C. office for NCBA? So I've been with NCBA a total of 15 years. Uh, Ten of those were with or were as the uh, the Vice President of Government Affairs as the head of the, the D.C. office. So I've had the chance to see a lot of big fights, uh, see the change in administrations, and just see all the struggles that we as an industry have. Uh, and, you know, I enjoyed that time. Uh, and there's a lot of fights still there. And a lot of people have asked, you know, why Why would I leave? Uh, why would I move on to, to this role? And for me, it's looking at that continued advocacy. We have a lot of challenges coming our way. And I want to be the one that helps lead us to that point. And as I say, uh, be the one that helps. It's not just the CEO that makes these decisions. And we have to talk about a true partnership here between the volunteer leaders of this association and the CEO and helping chart the path that we're going to take to try to be as influential as we can for our members. And that's the goal here is to do everything we can for our members to try to make sure that they have the opportunities to stay in business. 
Now, Colin, you're, you're really taking the reins of this organization at a time when cattle prices are not that great for cow-calf producers. Uh, feeders are also being impacted. And, of course, there's a lot of tension and uh, discussions around the nation's packers. Uh, where do you feel how do you feel that you will take this organization to the next level and, and make sure that, that the beef industry and cattlemen and women and the up-and-coming generations of cattlemen and women will have a strong future and an opportunity to, to be involved in, in the greatest industry on earth that's being involved in production agriculture? We have to make sure that we're getting down to the facts. The Tyson fire, the resulting market situation that we have is challenging. And I know that. Uh, I am hearing from our members across the country. I'm hearing from people who aren't members across the country with their concerns regarding what's going on right now. And as the oldest and largest national trade association for this industry, uh, we have to be fighting for our members. And that's exactly what we did. We were the first group to go out and ask for additional market oversight and letters that we sent to USDA and to the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And I think that set us apart as being the ones that took that quick action because we knew that everybody needed to have an answer as to what transpired here. And that is what we're going to continue to focus on is trying to get those answers, but make sure that we're getting those answers based on fact and not emotion. Uh, it is easy to get emotional about markets. Uh, I know that. I appreciate that. I understand that. And I hear that more importantly. I hear that. Uh, but we have to make sure that any additional action is based upon the facts, the figures, and the true data. And that's why you know, we're stepping up and supporting the Secretary of Agriculture and the investigation that he is conducting to try to help discern what those facts are. Uh, you know, that may mean that we have to have a lot of hard conversations within our industry moving forward, but we need to have the facts first. And I think that's one of the things that I want to continue to do as CEO is let's make sure that we are making quick decisions. Let's make sure that we are making good decisions for our producers, but let's make sure that we're using the facts and making those decisions. So what does the process actually look like then for this investigation? Obviously, it's actually ramped up even more into a full investigation looking at uh, the possible market manipulation there. What what can cattle men and women expect to see? How long will this take and uh, uh, what kind of hearings will go with it? I, I know a lot of folks out in the countryside are really curious to actually see what this investigation will actually look like and, and, and yield. You're right. That is the question. Uh, everybody wanted an investigation. Now that the investigation is going, they want to know what is it going to show. Uh, people are mad, and we know that they're mad, and they want that answer. So that's what we're trying to do as NCBA is to make sure that USDA has a, a good sentiment of uh, what what people are feeling in the countryside, that they understand that that they're well aware of the, the, the pressures out there and the concerns and the questions and the angst. Um, but at the same time, we want to make sure that it's thorough. And a lot of times when you're talking about government actions, thorough does not always mean speedy. So while we have asked them to be as uh, fast as possible in getting this done and, and ready to be reported back to the industry, it's better for all of us if they are thorough and they scrub everything they can. And that's what they're doing. You know, they're they're looking at all the data they can get their hands on. Uh, they've made it clear that they're talking to outside experts and analysts. And I think that's extremely important because uh, given what we're dealing with here, given this concern, 
this is a report that everybody needs to be able to hang their hat on, especially the Secretary of Agriculture. So what we're doing is uh, continuing to play a role in cooperating, uh, helping provide whatever information we possibly can to help this process move forward. But right now they're in the data collection phase, and they very well could be in the data collection phase for a month or so. Now, with that, of course, there there is a lot going on that's impacting the industry, whether it is the markets, the prices, or trade conflicts as a whole. But I guess that will lead me into my next point, uh, trade. You know, why, why is trade so important to the U.S. cattle industry? And uh, maybe let's talk about uh, some of the wins we've actually had on the trade front in the past few weeks and why that, how that actually benefits all these producers across the countryside. Well, it's a great question and one that comes up quite often. Even given the amount of time we spend talking about trade, there's still a lot of people that ask, why do we spend so much time on trying to get this access? And the, 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 the reason is, is pretty simple. We don't eat all of the parts of the animal that other people in the world would love, uh, would love to eat. You know, we're not big fans of hearts and, and kidneys. And yeah, there's a few folks that eat livers, but for the most part, folks aren't going and uh, buying a liver at the lo- local grocery store, uh, tongues, for example. That really is what started our, our focus on trade, is to say, look, these, these are parts of the animal that have value. We're not going to get that value here in the United States because the U.S. consumer doesn't want it. So how can we capitalize on it? And that means trade. That means getting it into the hands of those consumers who want those products. And that's why it has been uh, such a successful endeavor to open these markets, get these products out there, and show the value that has returned to, uh, to, to each and every head that is, that is processed and raised here in the United States. Now, that continues to morph. You know, we started with things like tongues, livers, hearts, kidneys. But what we are seeing is you have an increasing middle class around the globe. You have more people that are going and taking vacations and going to foreign lands. And so we are seeing that demand for more uh, uh, traditional high-quality cuts of beef, you know, sirloins, ribeyes, tenderloins, et cetera. That is also growing globally. So, again, it provides just another opportunity. We, we are a very mature beef-eating country. We're not going to find a new demographic here in the United States that's going to wake up and say, oh, I'm going to try beef. But in order to make sure that we can keep the opportunities for cattle producers and grow opportunities for young producers, we have to find ways to uh, get that beef overseas, and that's why this trade is important. We've had some great wins. Uh, we had just, oh, about a month or so ago, the opportunity to put together a memorandum of understanding with the European Union to increase our access into the EU market, something that we have been working on for years now, and it's part of a 30-year saga that we've had with the European Union. You know, They have tried to restrict us on the use of our uh, production technologies. And we have won that battle in the WTO. And the MOU that we just agreed to is a result of some of those actions. Definitely more to do there in order to harmonize the science in beef production and then how we get beef to the market. But it's a, it's a good start. But I think the one that we're really proud of is the fact that we are going to have a beef deal with Japan. When we pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, 
we were concerned that we were going to get left behind and that our other competitors into Japan would take advantage of their low, lower tariff rates in order to uh, to kind of shut us out and, and, and take some of our market share. Well, this deal that has been crafted is one that is going to level the playing field, put us back in the exact same position as all the other competitors. And we know that when there's a level playing field, we're going to win that battle every time when it comes to taste. So that is a great piece of news and, and one that I hope cattle producers understand is, is a really big development for us. And, of course, the one that we're looking forward to sometime here this fall is final passage of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, USMCA. Uh, this is the new NAFTA, and it's good for us because it maintains the provisions of NAFTA. But the reason why we need to get this done is we need to have the certainty of a future trading program with our top two customers being Canada and Mexico. Now, Colin, we've been talking about trade and, and exporting beef, and there's a lot of conversations at ranches and, and stockyards and cafes across the nation. It, heck, it happens at my house about importing beef into the United States. Uh, that, that's a big conversation in the countryside. Why does the nation need to import beef? A lot of producers ask that question. We produce a lot here. Uh, we export a lot of beef. What is the purpose of uh, exporting beef, and, and why, why, why is that essential, I guess, in NCBA's eyes? That's a, that's a great question, one that we get also quite often. And it has to do with maximizing the value of the animal. You know, we do a phenomenal job in producing cattle in this country high-quality beef, and when you take that high-quality beef, you want to get the absolute most money you possibly can out of that, and that doesn't always necessarily mean turning it into hamburger, and so what we've been able to find, and a great innovation, is to take the trim from our high-quality beef, import lean to mix with it, and have ground beef, in a lot of cases mostly for food service and uh, in fast food restaurants. And you know what that has done? That has allowed us to capitalize off of our trim, what otherwise would be a waste, and put some more value back on this animal. It's all about trying to get that value. Uh, so that's, that's why we import product, and that's why we're going to continue to import product. And it, uh, we all have to remember that that is part of trade, is being able to uh, send products elsewhere, but also a part of it is importing products. And uh, we're going to continue to support the way that is set up and uh, how that is currently providing a lot of value to us as well. And this, is, this is not something that it is an all-or-none situation for U.S. producers. We are also getting value out of bringing some of that lean product into the United States. So let's maybe switch gears here a little bit and, and not really even focus on meat, but let's maybe change the conversation to that fake meat, the alternative proteins that that truly are a threat to to the livelihoods of cattlemen and women across the nation. Um, I know this is an issue that NCBA has been working on uh, uh, from the start, really leading the way on it. Can you talk me through, you know, the work that's been done on this issue and, and where we're really going to be going from here on the fake meat debate and, and making sure that fake meat is not on the same playing field as the beef that the hardworking men and women across this nation produce? This is truly one that gets everybody's emotions up and it gets passionate quick, and I'm one of those as well. And what we have to do is we have to scream louder about 
what this fake meat is uh, is doing to our market, but more importantly, the misinformation that they're putting out there. Uh, they have a product, whether it's Impossible through the Impossible Whopper, for example, or if it's the Beyond Beef product that you can buy in the retail supermarket. You have products like this that really their only marketing campaign is to disparage us. And I think that automatically should tell the consumer something very clearly, that if all you can do is talk about how your competition is bad, then maybe your product is not so great. You know, we uh, we spend a, time, a lot of time uh, on, uh, on checkoff-funded efforts to promote the benefits of beef, to promote the great nutritional value of beef, to talk about why we should be a, a choice in uh, Americans' diets. Uh, fake meat, they don't do that. They just want to trash us. So it's misinformation about our impact on the environment, misinformation on uh, the nutritional value of our product. And one of the things that we have to do moving forward, and which we're going to do, is we're going to scream louder about that and call these individuals out, call these companies out, and make sure that we're correcting the record and make sure the consumer knows exactly what it is they're getting. And that's everything from being more vocal on the true impact of our industry on the environment to making sure we do everything we can to restrict what they can call this product. Uh, this is truly a fight that we are focused on. We're going to do more on this because we have to win this now. We cannot wait any longer uh, to, to protect our name, to protect our industry, and to protect what hardworking uh, cattle farmers and ranchers are doing every single day to produce this beef. You know, it's very frustrating to me as a as a broke rancher that has to talk for a living to to be able to watch these commercials that are on, especially the Impossible or the Impossible Whopper that that is on quite a lot on the the TV airwaves and whatnot. Is they want to run us down and you know, like you explained, uh, run down our impact that we have on the environment, which is is skewed. But they still want to use the term meat and beef and, and all the hard work and the time, the money, and the effort and, and the checkoff dollars that cattlemen and women have uh, put behind their product and the integrity behind their product. That's the most frustrating thing to me. And uh, truly, uh, as, a, as a payer of the checkoff and an, and an endorser of bringing my 50 cents back to the state of Montana to promote beef, to me, it's essential that we continue to educate consumers about what our product is, and because fake meat, it's terrifying to me. You know, it's interesting to kind of think back on these companies and a lot of the funders of these companies that they don't like things such as GMOs, for example, but yet they're all about whether it's this plant-based product that has uh, uh, any number of ingredients that are could be questionable to what we're doing or what we're seeing on the lab-grown side of it as well. It's also interesting to see that they're spending all this effort to try to replicate our taste, our uh, uh, overall eating experience, the, the, the flavor, for example. They can't come up with their own original uh, products. They have to try to replicate us. And I think that is something that we have not taken enough advantage of yet. And we need to continue to do so in distinguishing why, if you want the flavor, if you want the eating experience, if you want the nutritional benefits, if you just want the happiness of sitting down, you need to eat beef, real beef, period. 
So, Colin, what what is your team out in Washington D.C. done on this? I I just want to continue to talk about fake meat here for, for a quick second, just because you you have several agencies involved in the regulation of these uh, these alternative proteins, the FDA, the USDA. What was your role and your team's role on behalf of NCBA members uh, to to make sure that cattlemen and women are represented in this debate on a level playing field? Lane, we had a tremendous win in getting USDA and FDA to have joint jurisdiction and inspection uh, regulations on the the cell-based product. That was something that when we first passed the policy that we did, that was uh, driven forward by NCBA members to engage in this and to make sure that the cell-based lab-grown product was going to be regulated. We realized that there wasn't anything going on in that regard. And so we were able to jump in, talk with Congress, talk with USDA, talk with FDA, and more importantly, went straight to the White House and had conversations telling them that we have to ensure that this product is being labeled. And more importantly, USDA has to have a role here. And the reason why USDA has to have a role is that these people are going to, uh, from the perspective of, of the cell-based product, use bovine cells to try to replicate what we're doing. They need to be regulated by the people who know how to regulate uh, beef products, and that is USDA. And that was heard quite clearly by the White House and by uh, USDA and FDA both in Congress. And so that's what we got. Uh, we, we received a dual jurisdiction where FDA will look at the overall safety of the process and try to determine whether or not it's safe to come to the market. And once it's in the market, then USDA will be, re- be able to regulate that product every day just like they regulate our product every day. And the big, big win there, the thing that really I think uh, uh, is, is kind of solidifying this as, as important for the cattle industry, is that USDA will have the authority to determine what's on that label. That is key to make sure that a lot of these companies, such as uh, Memphis Meats, for example, can't call this product clean meat. And USDA will be very helpful in in preventing that. So we feel really good with where we're at on the uh, lab-grown side of this discussion. But that takes us back to the discussion on on plant-based, because they are regulated by FDA. And FDA is a, a completely different beast. You know, if you are a food company that's regulated by FDA, depending upon your track record with them and inspections, you might get inspected by them once every two, three, four, or possibly five years. That's unacceptable to us, especially for these companies that want to, again, try to trade on our name, our taste, and uh, the overall beef experience. So we are working on legislation right now to uh, to try to change that dynamic and uh, restrict what these companies can use as far as nomenclature names on the product. And we've got quite a bit of support on Capitol Hill to help us with this with this process. So, Colin, you, you really explained there uh, your work and other you know industry partners' work in making sure that fake meat is defined how it needs to be. But there's been other wins and a lot of hard work that have really gone into the D.C. staff's efforts to, to represent NCBA and its members. You know, WOTUS, that was a big one here uh, that, that we've heard a lot of developments on since uh, President Trump took office, some great news last week. What, what, let's talk about WOTUS and maybe some other wins that uh, 
your team has uh, been able to celebrate over, over the past year and, and whatnot, and, and now you're going to be able to uh, have a different view of this but still be involved in the advocacy in D.C. and across the nation with NCBA. The repeal of the 2015 WOTUS rule was a big win for us, plain and simple. Uh, we are finally taking that burden off of us, and we're going to have the opportunity to work with EPA to figure out what the WOTUS replacement is going to look like and one that will actually protect private property rights. That's what this is all about. It's what it's always been about is protecting property rights and the producer's ability to do with their land what they want to do with their land without the EPA and the Corps of Engineers coming on and uh, basically directing their, their every move. So a, a tremendous win and one that has been also about a decade in the making when you look at some of the original leg legislation that was introduced in the House uh, over a decade ago. So we're happy to see that, but also I think it shows the great relationship that we've been able to develop with EPA. We have an EPA that does not see us as the problem anymore. They see us as the solution, and they're willing to work with us. And that alone has been a, a tremendous change with the Trump administration. But again, it's not just the Trump administration. It's also our continued effort to educate EPA employees on what it is we do, all the great work we do, and uh, protecting our natural resources. And I think that is just a, a true ind indicator of why we have to have an office in Washington, D.C., because if you're not there every day engaging in the process, you're going to be left behind. As we look to the, the year ahead and the decade ahead for the, the cattle industry here in the United States, as you take this, this new office, Colin, what's your top priority as CEO? What's that top priority at the top of your list that you'll be working on day in and day out for the nation's cattlemen and women. Here's what we have to keep in mind is that we are a producer-run trade association. The reason why NCBA has the impact that they do for our industry is because it is the producers who participate that help us make policy, that help us engage, that really give NCBA that strength. So the good news is, from my perspective as CEO, a lot of those decisions have been made, as they should be made, by the producers themselves. That includes the beef long-range plan. That includes the policy priorities that we're working on in Washington, D.C. That includes the input that the committees give to, uh, to help develop the authorization request to the Beef Promotion Operating Committee on the, uh, the checkoff dollars that we compete for. So from... My perspective as the incoming CEO, it's not about Colin Woodall's vision. It's about NCBA's vision, and it's my job to make sure that we take the collective staff here and deliver on that. And that is something that I am uh, I'm proud to be a part of. I'm proud that we're able to do it that way, so that way we truly make this about the industry itself. Now, looking back, growing up there in Big Spring, Texas, to your time in Washington, D.C., to, to now serving as CEO of NCBA. What's a message that you would have for a younger 4-H version of yourself or a college version of yourself now that you've had real-life experience for, for so many years now advocating for the industry? I think that, that piece of advice is make sure you show up because what we see time and time again, whether it's within the cattle industry, 
any other association, just life in general, it's easy to get distracted with what has to be done. You just take a look at voter apathy, for example, and what we have seen in previous elections. Uh, apathy is, is easy to, uh, to, to see take hold in uh, uh, different industries. And I think the, the key component for not only a younger version of myself, but everybody who's listening right now is you got to show up. And a guy once told me that the world belongs to those who show up. And I think my experience with this trade association, my experience with life definitely shows that. If you don't show up, if you don't engage in the process, if you don't try to get your voice heard, then you can't complain about the outcome. And I think that is one thing that we're going to continue to tell cattle producers across the country, that if you want to have that voice, if you want to be engaged, if you want to chart the course of this is, uh, industry, then you need to come be a part of NCBA because we are the ones that are spending our time not trying to take other people down, but trying to find opportunities and solutions. And that's not always easy. And that is definitely something that not everybody wants to uh, wants to attempt. A lot of times it's it's easy to try to just appease the masses, uh, appease everybody at one time and try to be everybody's friend. But if you're going to be a true leader, if you're going to try to make a difference, if you're going to try to make sure that we have an industry that still exists in 25, 50, 100, 200 years, then you need to come and help us discover what that's going to be. And we welcome the engagement because, again, it's that grassroots engagement that makes NCBA such a powerful organization. Now, just speaking about uh, being a powerful organization and an advocate for for the livestock industry up on Capitol Hill, of course, you'll be moving away from that VP of Government Affairs office and role in Washington, D.C., but there's going to be a great individual filling your boots and stepping up into that VP position to advocate for NCBA and its members in Washington, D.C. Ethan Lane is going to take over as the Vice President of Government Affairs and the head of our Washington, D.C. operations. Ethan has been working for us as the head of the Public Lands Council, the Executive Director of the Public Lands Council, and so he knows our industry. Uh, he has been a participant in our industry. He knows the issues. And it's not just Western issues that he knows. He knows the issues that we're dealing with across the country as an industry, whether it's regional or uh, national in, in scope. And so bringing him on, we believe, is going to be a, a great fill for that role because he knows the association. He knows the players. He knows how it works. So there's not going to be any void or any lag time or any sort of question as to the continuity of our efforts. It will continue on as I move into this new role and Ethan follows me. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I look forward to working with him as we continue to look at, at all the issues out there. And it allow, now allows me to come in and spend more time talking about uh, all the great work we do as contractors to the checkoff. Uh, that work is, is tremendous. And as we continue to work as one in CBA, we can find ways to, uh, to be able to play off the strengths of all sides in order to deliver everything we can for cattle producers. 
Colin, I know you have a busy day and a, and a lot of media appointments to make this afternoon that, that want to talk to the new uh, CEO and, uh, and a voice there for the, the organization. Uh, what are some final thoughts that you'd like to share with our podcast listeners? You know, we have a lot of, a lot of ranchers, feeders, uh, industry uh, participants, and consumers that, that listen to Cattleman's Call. A- anything that you'd like to share with them be- before we wrap things up here today? I think the bottom line right now is that I understand all of the issues that we're dealing with. I understand the, the pain in the market. I understand that it's a lot of folks that are sleepless at night trying to figure out what they're going to do to stay in business. And we are going to do everything we can to try to help with that because ultimately we have to have a healthy producer community that is putting high-quality beef on the table to make sure that our customers, whether they're here or abroad, can enjoy a great steak produced by U.S. cattlemen and women. And that is what I'm going to take into this new role to make sure that we are always fighting for the rights of cattle producers. Colin, very well said, and thank you so much for for joining us for this special edition of Cattlemen's Call. Of course, we are going to continue to have those conversations from the countryside, sharing the stories of cattlemen and women here on the podcast each month. And very happy to have this as our first special edition report. Again, congratulations to Colin Woodall, the new CEO of the NCBA, and congratulations to Ethan Lane in his new role as the Vice President of Government Affairs. Uh, Colin, we'll see you at the next event. I know you'll be traveling just as much as you did in your role in D.C., but uh, what's your next stop on the uh, travel schedule? So uh, next stop is is to be determined. I think we're going to have a little bit of a change up here now that I uh, have a new role. So uh, definitely trips are coming coming my way, and I know that as we go through the fall, we've got a lot of, of our state affiliates are having conventions, and I'm going to hit several of those. Well, this is just a great introduction to our listeners to, to get to know you a little better, but I know they'll have the opportunity to meet you in person and, and hear you be able to give a speech and stand up for the industry because I tell you what, friends – it's hard to top Colin when he's up at the podium and sharing the facts and the history in the direction that the cattle industry is going. It's pretty moving. It truly is. So, Colin, thank you again for joining us today. Congratulations. And for our friends listening here today on the podcast, make sure and subscribe. Share the podcast link to your friends and encourage them to listen to Cattleman's Call. Well, that's all the time we have today. Colin, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Lane. And that will do it for today. We look forward to catching you next time. I'm Lane Northland. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.